Hi, you're listening to the Rosenfeld Review. We're just a bunch of blind men trying to figure out that elephant. And uh, I'm the chief blind man here, Lou Rosenfeld from Rosenfeld Media. I'm joined today by Jonathan Coleman, Senior Design Manager at Intercom. Hey, Jonathan, how are you? Good. Thanks for having me on, Lou. Great to have you on. Um, I'm, I, although you're hearing us, I see Jonathan right now. We like to have a little video to, to have these conversations. And he's wearing a Detroit Tigers hat. And uh, he reminds me of uh, our shared Michigan roots. And um, meanwhile, you are very far from Michigan. You're in Dublin, right? Yeah, in uh, Dublin, Ireland. But I'm from the States, which is why I have this really boring accent. And it's funny because I wear this hat, uh, you know, out on the town and, and folks have no idea what it is. Is, is the D for Dublin, I often get a lot of that. There you go. Yeah, D for Dublin. Well, um, you know, Jonathan is one of the people who is going to be speaking at uh, the fourth, oh my God, the fourth Design Ops <laughs> Summit happening virtually October 21st through 23rd. And I'm really interested in what you have to say because you're known as like a, you know, one of the people on the planet, not to put any pressure on you, <laughs> when it comes to the content side of design operations. And I know there's like about a thousand directions we could take this conversation, but I'm really interested, first of all, in how, what, what are the kind of, I don't know, it, the, I guess one question is the challenges that you're facing and that people in your role are facing when you're trying to get content to be part of an organization's design operations, or if that's even always the right approach. Do you fold content into this bigger thing, design operations, or are you seeing other organizations, for example, having content operations as standalone uh, uh, functions? And um, I, I got to imagine there's some sort of, there, there's a, sort of a microcosm of, of what, challenges writers and content people face when they're actually designers uh, in, in as part of a broader design organization. Uh, how do you make sense of this? Uh, big question, Lou. Um, there's a lot in there. Uh, you know, um, I think each team sort of has its, its, its different sort of areas of focus. And, and maybe that's based on something like where are they at in their maturity are they, you know, a, a content strategy or a content design team of one? So, you know, they're focused on, you know, doing all the work, executing constantly, but also trying to build out the discipline and create a space and understanding for it. Or are they a larger team like a, a Shopify, a, a Facebook, um, a Capital One maybe, um, where, uh, you know, there's uh, some history, there's... Um, you know, a, a massive amount of practitioners. There's some recognition for, you know, what the function does, how it works, how it works best for that matter. There's things like career paths and expectations and, and uh, all of that. So I, I think it probably depends on size, maturity, age, things like that. Um, for us, and, and perhaps uh, due to the fact that I, I'm focused on a, on a management role and I'm not doing the practice myself, you know, I was really focused on things like hiring and recruiting um, and setting clear expectations and having a path to senior and principal and things like that. So for us, those were the biggest problems to solve. For another team, though, 
hey, you know, it might be um, content management, or it might be something like, how do we do design QA? Um, that, that's a challenge for many teams. Um, or it might be something like um, uh, professional development and like, what are the different kinds of career paths? Or maybe what are our archetypes of content designers? Um, so this could go in a lot of different directions. Well, okay. So, you know, one thing that um, I wonder about is when we started to see design operations really come to the fore three, four years ago, we found uh, as we programmed the first conference, especially that there was a, a something of a divide between the establishment of design operations in settings where operations were already well known and established like uh, traditional environments where there may have been an operations organization, organizations uh, and HR organizations long before there was a design organization like product. Yeah, so true. And there's like the converse. There's the places, let's say, you know, more recent uh, entries into uh, the business world, the Pinterests and the, the Etsy's where design was around a lot longer before things had become operationalized. I'm wondering if there's some similar uh, axis that you're seeing here that applies to how you establish content operations. Yeah, you know, it occurs to me that um, there's probably, <laughs> you know, many different paths to this. What stands out to me is um, some of the key ways I think these teams take off is uh, the organization itself is is honest. It's a learning organization. So it's able to take in new information about what's going well and what's not. And then it dedicates itself to solving that problem. Not every organization is like that, obviously. Um, but a lot of them are, um, and a lot of product orgs have become really good at doing things like, you know, regular surveys to discover what the pain points are, understanding how and when those change over time, and then dedicating themselves to figuring out like, oh, okay, well, we're clearly hearing that X is an issue. Um, maybe we need a team. Maybe we just need to focus. Maybe we need to learn more. You know, essentially they're talking about ops work. So uh, I can imagine that, but I can also imagine, you know, like a really strong um, individual practitioner uh, who can think out of the everyday execution and understand um, just sort of like that, that balance between values and culture and HR and practice. And, uh, you know, they'll have the best insight because they're, they're really right there in the trenches on where the friction is, where the disconnects. Um, what are the the dependencies, the, the interdependencies of this complex system of an organization? And maybe they're the ones who spin up, you know, something that probably starts as a skunk works, um, but then evolves into like, hey, this is actually valuable, a, a dedicated function that has recognition and gets funded. So, yeah, I, I can imagine top down, bottoms up here. So, well, I mean, you're, you're probably, I know many of the listeners are familiar with uh, Peter Merholtz and Kristen Skinner's book, Org Design, mm -hmm. Design Orgs. It's probably, if I catch your drift, way too soon to write Org Design for content orgs. <laughs> um, but I know, nonetheless, you've been doing a lot of work in terms of, as you said earlier, plotting out the career progression uh, for people doing this type of, of content operations work. Uh, and I'm sure it's more than that. It's the actual practitioners uh, as well as the people who are managing them, leading them, and, and creating operations to support them. Um, 
you know, I don't know, it's probably too soon to say there's a pattern there, but how does it work at Intercom? How, what does that, that career path look like? Uh, and also, I, I think you're kind of really starting from before they've even come on board, right? You, 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 you're oh, absolutely. a certain yeah. type of person, and then you move them into an initial role, and then they move within the organization. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's funny that you bring up, uh, uh, Mayor Holtz and Skinner's book. So, um, it, at least the way we practice this, we, we wouldn't want a, a content design org book. Um, we, we, <clears throat> we'd want a design org book and that's because we've specifically intentionally chosen to blur the lines between design and content design. For us, it's just design. Um, that wasn't by mistake. That was on purpose. Um, because when we really thought about um, how we practice design and what we were asking of content designers and how we thought they made impact and were successful um, and, and how we thought they could execute best, et, et cetera, um, we didn't really see a lot of distinction. And uh, I've grown to think that a lot of the um, differentiation we think of between these uh, design roles um, is pretty minimal. Uh, and uh, for us, we are far more efficient once we started treating uh, content designers like product designers and setting the same expectations for content designers as we set for product designers. Uh, for us, that's what allowed us to move the practice forward, to grow those individuals in ways that were meaningful for them, to increase their recognition, um, and also to pay them the same. So we pay content designers and product designers exactly the same by level and experience. I was just um, going to ask you about that. Yeah. There's the a lot of good reasons to do that. <laughs> Sorry, what? Yeah. The, I mean, and the flip side of that, of course, yeah. is how you evaluate them. And yeah. I wonder, I mean, I mean, you know, there's, there's all kinds of difference, differences in terms of how you might evaluate designers uh, who are not content designers, of course. But, I mean, are you finding that it's, been pretty tricky to sort of sync up the the metrics for performance across these types of uh, roles not for us uh, you know each org uh, works differently and, and probably looks for different things as success signals or metrics um, but for us the the key thing was changing the way content designers work so that they work the same as product designers um, and I'll go into that in a bit um, we also then had to sort of codify what does content design mean to us? And in particular, what does it mean to us in relation to design? So at Intercom, product designers are, um, for better or for worse, what we call full stack designers, um, meaning that they they're expected to practice and be proficient in all areas of design. Um, and we decided that content designers should be that as well. Um, and they shouldn't just be limited to something like UX writing or something like concept design. Um, or something like terminology. So we expect them to practice the broad array of skills associated with full stack design. And then because of that, um, we could hold them accountable in exactly the same ways as we do for product designers. So we look at the same metrics, we have the same definition of impact, um, we look for the same kinds of uh, design practices. And if you do all those things, if they work in the same way, um, if they are defined in the same way, they have the same standards, and uh, if they have the same expectations and accountability measures, then you should pay them the same. I mean, it, it, it almost goes without saying. Well, also, um, you, you can uh, not only do you know what to expect from them, but they understand mm -hmm. what to expect from each other. Exactly. And 
to uh, to what you were saying earlier about like um, uh, sometimes uh, uh, orgs have difficulty spinning up content ops efforts. Um, I think there's a I think there's a link there, and I think the link is that um, a lot of content strategy and content design teams don't explain their work, and they and they simply don't execute on the work in the same way that their organizations build product. And so that makes content strategy and content design seem, you know, unaligned or uninformed or, or uh, I hate to say ignorant, but certainly directed by other focal points. Um, and I think that makes it really hard on those teams of practitioners to uh, to grow, um, to succeed, and, and to have the real world impact they're they're trying to have. Um, so for us, making sure that content design. Uh, was closely aligned with product design, and then making sure that all designers were deeply tied into the way we actually build product is what really helped this ops effort and the teams themselves take off. We're talking with Jonathan Coleman. We're going to take a break. You're listening to the Rosenfeld Review. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you want more, not only do we have a whole bunch of podcasts in our archive, but we have something that's very current, very alive, and very engaging for groups. And that is our communities. Rosenfeld Media runs a variety of communities that meet on a monthly basis for video conferences on a variety of topics near and dear to UX people, ranging from enterprise experience to advancing research to design and research operations. I want to encourage you join one of our communities again it is free by going to rosenfeldmedia.com communities not only will you get a monthly video conference that you can listen in on and participate in ask questions and so forth we'll give you access to the recordings and uh, for some of those communities we're talking about dozens of recordings with really interesting presenters and facilitators you'll also get a newsletter you'll get access to an advice columnist. Yes, we actually are providing advice columnists for each community. And finally, if you're interested in our conferences, our communities correspond to our conferences. So you will be the first to know when programs uh, when programs go live, uh, when tickets go on sale, and by the way, most of our conferences sell out, and other good things about our conferences, such as uh, when the scholarship applications open up. So go to rosenfeldmedia.com communities. You're going to find something that's free, something that's interesting, and it's a great opportunity to find your tribe as well. We'll see you there. Hi, you're listening to the Rosenfeld Review, and our guest today is Jonathan Coleman, Senior Design Manager at Intercom. And I know you want to know more about Jonathan based on the first part of this interview. So before I forget, you should know that if you want to learn more about Jonathan, you should follow him on Twitter where he is Jay Coleman, that's J-C-O-L-M-A-N. Jonathan, so we were talking a lot about the um, way you sort of organize uh, the content side of operations, especially at Intercom. I'm really curious though, where you get those people? Uh, are, is the pipeline singular, uh, just like a lot of organizations just keep harvesting designers out of the same few programs or, or is it pretty different with content people? Um, I think it's a little bit different. And I think it's because, um, you know, design as a practice has been around for like, you know, in, in, in some ways, like a, a, 
close to 100 years, right? If we mm -hmm. go back to like the foundations of graphic design. Um, but, uh, you know, things like interaction design, product design, um, web design, like we're talking about decades of life here. Whereas the content strategy piece, um, you know, Christina's book is about 10 years old, I think. Um, and if we uh, get really specific to focus on something like UX writing, um, while people have been doing it for as long as there's been software, I, I don't think it's been sort of the practice it is in its modern form for, you know, we're really just talking about the last eight to 10 years or so, I guess. So, uh, so there, you know, there aren't those established schools and programs and, you know, there, there's no elementary programs in this or, uh, uh, you know, things like that. So what I find is that a lot of people move into this uh, field as their second or third, or in my case, fourth or fifth career. Um, I started out in tech writing. Um, I used to write manuals for IBM, printed ones. I wrote them in SGML. Go look it up if you haven't heard of it. It's uh, really don't look it up. It's just painful. Don't, I have a lot of painful everyone. memories. Me, yeah, you don't want to do that. Here. Don't don't write in SGML, kids. Um, anyways, that's not the point. The point is that you know I went from that to marketing, uh, from there to content marketing, from there an unlikely jump to IA from there to UX and content. Um, so uh, a lot of people enter the field from things like journalism, um, but also from unexpected things like poetry. Um, really what you need is not just an appreciation for language, but an appreciation for um, uh, what I think of as like frameworks and concepts. If you're the kind of person who like organizes your library in a particular way or your music, um, uh, that alone isn't going to do it. You also need to, need to be a person who really thinks deeply about language um, and how it's constructed and how other people receive it. So there's a really big awareness piece as well. Um, I find that journalists uh, often make uh, some of the best content writers, content designers, UX writers, because they have that appreciation, not just of storytelling, but of structure, hierarchy, um, tone of voice, certainly, um, and credibility, most of all. I think one of the things that is undersung about journalists, and I, mm. I say this with the complete uh, disclaimer that I am married to a former journalist, now UX writer, is an appreciation for time. Like oh, absolutely. It's is like really, you know, language plus time, right? And I, I always find that this, that the issue of time is just so, like it's it's so hard to to surface because it's around us and it, 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 it's our Lord, but we, <laughs> and yet we don't really design around it like, or think about it very much in the various types of design we do, at least not enough. What I would actually love to see in that regard is someone who moves from comic books to product content, mm -hmm. because uh, those two, so they're both products, comic books, product, but the way that they use language is so similar. I would love to see someone who's moving uh, either in, in either direction, really. Um, you have to be spare, you have to be quick, you have to get a lot across in a very small space. Um, and uh, I think a lot of the challenges uh, are shared between these two mediums. Well, I've got a book for you then. <laughs> oh, I know you do. I've read that book. It's brilliant. See what I mean by Kevin Chang. Uh, mm -hmm. I still have it in print, but it's a beautiful book, and I think it's way ahead of its time. And Kevin Absolutely. is, uh, you know, the, one of his first roles after writing that book was a uh, product manager at Twitter. 
it was so long ago that uh, if you want to learn more about Kevin and you get his Twitter handle, it's just K. <laughs> Early movers. That's always right. get the benefits. So, all right. So there's, there's some interesting backgrounds and it sounds like you know, you, your pipelines for uh, content people are varied and maybe just like they have to be creative, you have to be creative in, in finding them in ways that you might not with some other types of designers. That said, do you find that um, when these content people join a team, uh, that the existing team members, maybe they're more traditional types of designers, also have to be very creative in terms of understanding how to work with them? Because I understand that you, you know, try to really, you pay them the same. You have similar uh, uh, metrics for their uh, performance. Uh, it sounds like it's it's a very enlightened thing, but I'm sure you're still uh, dealing with cultural baggage and and, uh, and professional chauvinism. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, for us, it's a dedicated effort. Like there's a, a clear, dedicated part of our onboarding um, that not just covers expectations for you know a, a content designer's role, um, but also for um, the expectations of all of their colleagues. So we do take a look at like, hey, what does a PM do here? So PM is a kind of role that um, it's kind of like a liquid you pour in an organization and it takes the shape of the organization. Okay. It can do many different kinds of things, as can design for that matter too. But um, it's important for you know someone new joining our org to understand, hey, what should you expect of a PM? And we'll set that expectation based on um, what we expect of PMs as an organization. Same thing for design, same thing for research, same thing for engineering for that matter. Um, and that uh, helps us get past some of like the, the historical cultural baggage. So that's one way that we, we do. Uh, we, we sort of just try to level set um, for new folks joining the team. Um, but some of the other things is that we also, you know, kind of have this belief that teams work best when they work in the ways that work best for them. And if you accept that, and if you accept that every individual has their own unique strengths, which we do accept, um, that means that um, you know, that person also needs to be able to set clear expectations with their colleagues um, for how they work best, what they do best, how they create the most impact. And so one of the things we do with um, new folks joining the team, no matter what role they're in, is to try to help them set those expectations and let them know that like, hey, this is something people expect you to do, um, is to be clear about where you can uh, provide the most value. What kinds of problems are you best at solving? How do you work? Are you the kind of person who can, you know, come up with a, a quick opinion right off the bat? Or if you or are you more like me where, yeah, I kind of got to go off and think about this. We expect people to have those conversations and we set them up to succeed at them. That's fantastic. And uh, it just sounds like an, a, a very enlightened approach. Are you doing much writing about this? Because I know <laughs> following you on, on Twitter, um, I, I'm sure you are, but where are you doing your writing? Where are you sharing your wisdom? Besides at the Design Op Summit later, well, some of these things I will be sharing at the Design Up Summit, um, but uh, a lot of them, uh, what we're trying to do is be transparent as a design team about what we're learning, where we're struggling, where we're succeeding as well. So um, one of the things that we've done is uh, if you go to our design team site, uh, which is intercom.design, um, you'll see that we, we're extremely open. We've shared everything from our uh, 
product and content design uh, expectations, career paths, um, our design process, how, how we work, our principles for making decisions, and even like what do we look for when we hire people? So our full interview process, the structure of each interview, um, and uh, the kinds of things we look for, even in portfolios, that's, that's all available. Um, and the reason why we share that out is because we think uh, it brings us better candidates for one thing, um, but it also helps uh, other organizations who might be struggling to come up with those things. It gives them a place to start. And so all of those resources are Creative Commons. We only ask that if people use them um, to create their own systems, which, which is great, they should. Um, we only ask that they then share out their work as well. So that's how they're licensed. That's um, fantastically generous. So that's intercom.design. Yep, intercom.design. Are, are there other organizations that you feel are, are similarly leading lights that uh, people interested in learning more should know about? Absolutely. Um, uh, one of the organizations I follow closely is uh, Shopify. Um, and uh, they have a UX blog where uh, they share all, all sorts of things on UX. And what I particularly like about um, the way that they are set up is that um, they take a, a big picture sort of view of what UX is. And so it's not just product design, there's you know, their, their content strategy, their research, even their front end development. Um, and uh, so uh, I definitely draw inspiration from them, particularly their design system, Polaris. Mm -hmm. um, there are a few other orgs that come to mind as well. Um, Spotify, and I'm glad that I got my Shopify and my Spotify right. I'm going to get a, a second glass of wine tonight just for figuring that one out. Spotify recently uh, talked about their system of design systems um, where they've put together um, several different systems under one big banner and they just sort of all work. Um, and that was a cross-functional effort with uh, design, content strategy, and engineering as well, which I think is pretty interesting. Um, and then uh, I'm biased because I used to work there, but um, the uh, Facebook design collection on Medium um, uh, is often where they talk about uh, how they're solving hard problems, um, trying to uh, you know do things like improve their critique um, or engage in new forms of research at scale. Um, I always find that to be a, a really interesting read as well. So thanks for, for sharing those resources. Before we wrap, I want to know if you have one more thing to share. I always like to see if there's a little um, project or something written or person uh, that you want to sh uh, shine a little light on for our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm what you would call, I believe, a caveman in that I'd never listened to podcasts before about a, a year ago. Um, and then once I finally got hooked, I, you know, I, I would say I can't put them down, but it's more like I can't take off my headphones. So I want to um, share with you my current favorite podcast, and it's called Our Opinions Are Correct. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a podcast by Annalie Newitz who is a science journalist who happens to write science fiction, as well as Charlie Jane Anders, who is a science fiction writer who's obsessed with science. And they cover all kinds of things, the, the, the strata of science, science fiction, everything from storytelling to research. Um, I recently listened to an episode they did on uh, world building and, and how to go about it. Um, and I, I just think it is fantastic podcast. 
So if you're into science or sci-fi, uh, you're definitely going to find a lot to like here. And it's called, one more time? Our Opinions Are, are Correct. That's Annalee Newitz and... Charlie Jane Anders. Yeah, I think Annalee might have blurbed uh, our book, um, uh, Make It So, uh, Nathan yeah. and, uh and Chris Nessel's book. Um, yeah, that's a great book. I love that book. Science fiction and its influence, uh, TV and film, its influence on interactive design. Mm-hmm. This is fantastic. Uh, we could certainly go a lot longer, <laughs> but I know it's Friday night for you, and you've already mentioned that second glass of wine. So. That's right. I got to get on the first. All right. Well, go to it. Jonathan Coleman, <laughs> design manager at Intercom. Great to talk with you today. Uh, if you're listening, uh, you should definitely come to the Design Ops Summit. October 21st through 23rd. It is virtual. And Jonathan is one of the wonderful people who will be speaking there. Uh, We're doing a bunch of other things to make that a fantastic experience. Besides having people like Jonathan, we are going to take our second pass at attendee cohorts, a new concept that allows you to attend together so you can learn together in small groups and uh, with the aid of of a facilitator. So if you're worried about virtual conferences and Zoom fatigue in general, I think we've got you covered. We hope to see you there and you'll get to hear Jonathan among other great speakers. Thanks again, Jonathan. Thanks so much, Lou. Stay safe and vote. And vote. All right, take care. Thanks for listening to the Rosenfeld Review brought to you by Rosenfeld Media. If you like our show, please subscribe and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast platform. I'd love it if you tell a friend to have a listen. And please check out our website for over 100 podcasts with other interesting people. You'll find them all at rosenfeldreview.com.